<clears throat> yeah, it was interesting. Uh, earlier on in our prayer time, uh, Alex was, uh, <clears throat> came up to me and said, um, and the struggle, you can see the struggle there because he's used to calling me Dr. Ed on campus when he's in my class. But here at LAFC, I want to make it clear that I'm Ed. And he's like, Ed? There's <laughs> that moment where you're, okay, what am I supposed to call him? Uh, you know, what name am I going to use for him here? Uh, maybe some of you had a similar experience growing up uh, in my home. Uh, well, in my life, there are two people who call me Eddie, uh, neither of whom is in this room. <laughs> um, but I remember those times when my mom would say, Edward Allen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you knew, I knew. As little as I was listening a moment ago, I was listening more. <laughs> it's interesting growing up in a, a family of uh, seven kids. I have five brothers and one sister. I am honorable son number three. And my brother Mike, uh, he's number seven. Uh, my parents kept trying to have that girl, which they had at number six. And as far as they knew, they were done. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you can relate to surprise number. <laughs> and so then came Mike, and poor Mike, um, by the time he was born, um, he didn't get dad as much as we got dad. Dad was older, less energetic, had some health concerns, and while most of us knew him as um, many other things, including our, our baseball coach, now, Mike didn't get that. Now, recently, Mike contacted me and let me know that he's getting married. He's about to turn 50 later this, this year, and first time engaged, first time married, and uh, wanted me to have a role in, in the wedding. And uh, Kelly, uh, and so Carol and I decided we were going to go out to Missouri, where Mike and Kelly are, and, and get to know them, because they wanted us to do some premarital counseling with them, as we've done with a number of uh, couples. Mike, you must understand, we haven't had much contact other than the obligatory Facebook happy birthday message over the years. And um, it was very special for Mike and Kelly, for Carol and me to drive out to Missouri a couple of weeks ago to invest in them. It's interesting, as I've talked with him over the phone and in person, Mike often says, well, Kelly's faith is really important to her. And Kelly would say, yeah, my faith is really important to me, and I want Mike to be able to interact with me. Mike, you see, is not a Christian, as far as I know, yet. He's very, very close, though. And he's, he's even said to me, um, you know, Ed, I understand that Jesus died for my sins, but what does that mean? What does that faith feel like? And we got to a point where I said to both Kelly and Mike, let's stop talking about your faith Let's start talking about your relationship with God. And that was a little bit of a light bulb moment for Mike. And so today, as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, we're going to be talking about that. And the ushers are coming by with Bibles right now. If you don't have one, uh, let them know. They'll give you one. If you don't own a Bible, please take this as our gift to you, because everyone should have access to God's Word. And you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we'll be looking at this here. It's interesting, though, when you think about relationships. Okay, let's stop and think. for. Think about the closest relationship you've ever had in your life. 
maybe still in that relationship. Maybe that person's passed. Uh, maybe the person's not around. But think about what made that relationship close. I would venture to say a few things. Um, for one thing, proximity sometimes. We've, a number of our daughters have had long-distance relationships. Our oldest daughter, Cara, and her husband, yes, husband, so this one went well, um, in, were quite a ways apart from each other for a while. And they made it work, and they, in fact, uh, they were our first daughter. We have four daughters, and uh, they, they got married. Now, another one of our daughters had a long-distance relationship that did not, the relationship did not survive. I want to make sure I said, not the person, the, the relationship did not survive. <clears throat> And that was not a bad thing. But distance creates, it makes it difficult to have a relationship from a distance. Not impossible, but difficult. And then frequency. I remember reading a report about um, those who grew up in boarding school on the mission field. And those who thrived and some who didn't. And one of the key takeaways was how often did the family come to visit the person in boarding school? It wasn't even how long, but how frequently did they come? So frequency of contact was important. But then also, of course, quality of time together. Now, I'm, I'm looking here, and I see the person who was the chair of my doctoral dissertation, who knows this information very well, because my doctoral dissertation was basically how to use email to care for missionaries, how to have a relationship, an encouraging relationship from a distance, using social media, or in, in my case, email. Uh, yes, I am a doctor, uh, not a medical doctor, but my doctorate is in missiology, the study of missions. My wife, Carol, and our daughters lived overseas in Southeast Asia for 23 years. And part of this dissertation was talking about communication. If you have a close relationship, you have to have communication. It's got to be a two-way street, right? If, how many good relationships do you know of where communication goes in one direction only? I don't think there's anything. It goes both ways. But it, and you know the basic communication models. You have the sender of the message or the speaker, and you have the receiver or listener. And you have the message that's trying to be, here's the message I want to get over to here. This morning, I have a message I'm trying to communicate to you, and I hope that what I say gets into your ears and past your ears and into your heart. But there's something between me and you right now, between the speaker and the listener, the sender and the receiver, we call it noise. A noise can be physical noise. You know, it might be someone, maybe someone's cell phone goes off, or someone clicking a pen, or the person next to you's stomach rumbles. <clears throat> but it's not just physical noise. It could be other kinds of noise. Thoughts, like, <clears throat> boy, the weather's, I just, what am I doing inside? It's so beautiful outside. I need to get out there. Um, or your to-do list. Or for some of you, your to-do lists that you have. Well, I forgot to take the meat out of the freezer. Why is the temperature so warm or cool for some of you? All of those things become noise. Anything that gets in the way between the messenger and the message being received, anything that detracts from that is noise. And when we think about our relationship with God, even today, I want you to be thinking about what noise do I allow to exist between me and God? Well, I'm too busy to spend time with him. Well, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. That person just said this to me, and I'm really, 
hurt by that. Or, and God's trying to speak to us. Remember last week when Nick talked about uh, in 1 Kings 19, where was God? It wasn't in the loudness. He was in the quiet whisper. If you're going to hear the quiet whisper, there's got to be noise eliminated. I've got to be able to hear that whisper. And what's going to keep me? And how do I minimize, maybe not eliminate, but at least minimize the noise between me and God as he tries to talk to me? Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 25, we see how much God desires that, to have that relationship with us. Let me go ahead and read Hebrews 10, 19 and 25 as we get started here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilt, a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. As Joel said last week, <coughs> one of the things we see, the very first word, when you see the word therefore, we have to ask what it is, what is it therefore? And the book of Hebrews is an interesting book because throughout the book, the writer is saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the uh, angels. He's better than this, better than that. And here in chapter 10, especially chapters 9 and 10, we're seeing that Jesus' sacrifice is better than what the priests have done before. While they had to do it once a year so that we would have temporary access, here it is once and for all, the perfect sacrifice never needing to be done again, the veil has been torn, access has been opened up. That is not only better, it is the best. And so Jesus is better. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's writing to us as believers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. Last week we had communion. I love to call it communion rather than saying the Lord's table, which is nice. It is the Lord's table but it is a communal activity. We come together. It's, it's sort of a, a tension there, isn't it? I want to personally, before God, examine myself, singular, to see what noise there is between me and God. Okay, that homologeo uh, Greek word means confession, means to say the same thing. God, I have sinned against you, and it's a personal, individual activity, and yet it's also communal we do it with one another. Let us all drink ye all of this cup. It's a communal activity while an individual thing at the same time. So there's a bit of a balancing, if you will. We're going to talk more about the value of being together in, a few, in just a few minutes. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't saying, I am one of thee. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no way to come to the Father but through Jesus. And while we as Christians are accused of being narrow-minded, we actually need to wear that at times because we are narrow-minded. Why would you not tell someone about the way to get to God if they didn't know? I once heard someone say, 
not too long ago, how much do I have to hate somebody to not tell them the gospel? How much do I have to hate someone to not tell them how they can know God? He says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, turn please earlier in the book of Hebrews to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This idea of Jesus being our great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love to pair these two words together that God is both aware and able. He is aware of my struggles. He knows my struggles. He knows my, the temptations that I face. He knows. He is aware. But there are many people who may be aware, but he is also able. Because he is God, he is able to help me through those temptations and those struggles and those trials. He is aware and he is able. Isn't it special to, be, to not only know God, but to be known by God? He knows me. He is aware and he is able. So the basis of our drawing near to God is nothing less than Jesus. As we sang earlier, I rest on Jesus' blood. My righteousness is not in my own. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross for me and his resurrection. Because of that event, of that truth, of the promises wrapped up in that truth, I can have access to God. Which brings us to these two precious words in verse 22. Let us. If we have access with God, let us draw near to him. Now this let us is not sort of like, hey, you want to go to the park tonight? Let's go to the park. No, this is more than that. It's probably a little shy, just a little bit shy of a command, if you will. Let us draw near. Because Jesus has done this for us, let us go and climb up in his lap and be close to him. With full assurance, with, with confidence in, in who in what he's done. How many of you remember the old American Express commercial, Membership Has Its Privileges? Remember that? Membership has its privileges, and as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of his family, as members of his family, membership has its privileges, the most important of which is access to God. Not like in the past, depending on the priest's works, but now through Jesus' work. We can come into his presence, not with fear, but as a child. Now, as I said, I grew up with five brothers and one sister. Carol and I have now four daughters, and as friends of ours told us, when the twins were born, you have the girls, but the boys will come. The boys have come. And not only have the boys come, so have the grandchildren. 
We currently have two granddaughters. And in how many weeks? Four weeks. Granddaughter number three will be born. And grandchild number uh, three, and grandchild number four will be born, Lord willing, in December. Now, Jaina and Fiona, um, you know, what, what, how many of you went through this process where what is your grandchild going to call you, Grandpa? Because whatever the first one decides is potentially will be the name that you have for the other grandchildren. And I remember Jaina, our oldest granddaughter, calling me Pocky. <laughs> I did not want to be called Pocky by a 16-year-old granddaughter later on and said, no, it's Grandpa. It took a while, but we got there. Fiona, her younger sister, it comes out more like Empa or something like that. What's, the difference in the personality is interesting, though. Jaina is very f fun and friendly, but she's also that bookworm, and she's, like, she's, uh, she's a typical number of firstborn, if, you, if I can say that. But there's a difference that I really appreciate in seeing them is that the way that they show affection to me is very different. And I want to talk about Fiona for a moment. Fiona is the younger and uh, she would just climb up in my lap with a book, read book. Or our, there was a time recently where we were out on the back, back yard and our neighbor's dog was running loose and she came running and put a nice death grip around my neck of protection from her, from that little dog. <laughs> you see, for her, coming into my presence is not just, it's protective at times, but it's also intimacy. And when it says here, let us draw near to God, we want to come into his protective presence, yes, but even more so, that intimacy with God. Come in, sit on my lap. Yes, he is the awesome God, but he is also my Abba, my Daddy, my loving father. And that is a precious place to be. I'm going to read to you a little story about, uh, I got this in an email just a couple of days ago, last week. A friend of ours who was an LBC graduate who's now serving with pioneers in Northeast Thailand amongst the Isan people, the largest minority group in Thailand. And uh, she's, she's learned Thai, Isan, both Thai and Isan, and she's been going to villages lately where, where she lives. And, um, and oftentimes, she finds conversations with older women, grandmother types. <clears throat> and this particular story, and that's Erin that you see there, let me read what she wrote. And it's, I'm going to read it in two parts, first one now and then say the second part for a little while. As we entered her room, we knew that her time on this earth was coming to an end. Her lack of eating and drinking water is beginning to take a toll on her aging body. Some days are better than others, but regardless, she has more days behind her than she has before. She looked up at us and in a weak, frail voice asked if we'd be at her funeral when she died. We assured her we would, and the urgency to talk to her about the highest God became even more evident. <clears throat> so I asked her if she was afraid of death and dying. But we were not prepared for her answer, 
which caused our mouths to hit the floor and be shocked and praised Jesus. She said, I saw the highest God in a dream one night, almost 10 years ago. He was calling to me, telling me to come and sit at his feet. So I ran, knelt down before him, and began bowing down the same way I'd bow before the statues of Buddha. But he said, don't. Don't bow in that manner. Come, sit at my feet, and I will give you rest. So I went and sat there and came to know the highest God. Later, I went to church and learned about Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. And that's why I'm not afraid to die. In Buddhism, Buddhists live in fear. Fear of what happens if I don't do what I need to do to appease the evil spirits. It's all about gaining merit and doing good things. And if you greet someone in Thai, the appropriate way to do that is to why. Put your hands together like this, and you bow a little bit, and you... So what cops, what depending on your gender, and you, you greet someone. Now, if, if I'm greeting someone that is, if a student's greeting me, I, I would have my hands here, but they would probably have their hands here. Alex, take note. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the government official or someone higher, especially royalty, it's going to be more like this, head bowed down. And what she described in her dream is she approached God, the way that she would approach the Buddhist uh, statues, where you would bend down on your knees, hands above your head, head down. And he said, no, 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 no. I want you to come and sit at my feet. It's an intimate posture. Think Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha was upset that Mary was just sitting at his feet. It wasn't that Martha was doing bad by doing what she was doing, but we're told that Mary did the better thing by being at Jesus' feet. There will be a time for doing, and about that time comes after being with God. When we talk about drawing near to God, he, there are four things that we need to consider as we see here in, in verse 22. <clears throat> First it says, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. That confidence, when we come to God, how, are, what, what, how do we posture ourselves when we come to God? Are we coming with a sincere faith, or are we just coming with our checklist of what we, God, what we want God to do for us? Do we have confidence that based on what Jesus did, I can enter into his presence? Now, the other two are passive, whereas the first two are active. The third and fourth are things that are done for me, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from purity, uh, from a guilty conscience, and also having our bodies washed in pure water. It's important to, remember, to think about this, though. When I come to God, it's probably not the same way you come to God. There is not a one-size-fits-all. How many of you are familiar with the five love languages? Okay, uh, quality time, uh, acts of service, gift-giving, uh, what are the other two? Help me out. Uh, words of affirmation and what's the one I'm missing? Physical. What's that? Physical. Physical affection, right. Yeah, right. So, but what often happens is we say, oh, that's how I like to receive love, affection, encouragement. And so I tend to give that in the same way rather than thinking, how does that person want to receive? Well, Thomas wrote another book, a book called Sacred Pathways where he talks about nine different ways that we approach God. And let me just read these to you quickly here. 
I'm not going to take much time on this. He says, naturalists draw near to God through nature. Sensates draw near to God through their senses. Traditionalists draw near to God through ritual and symbol. Ascetics through solitude and simplicity. Activists through bringing about social change. Caregivers through caring for and serving others. Enthusiasts through celebration and mystery. Contemplatives or contemplatives through personal adoration and heartfelt devotion. And intellectuals through their minds. Psalm 4610 is often a verse that's often quoted here. It's one I, I struggle with because a lot of times when Psalm 4610 begins with, be still and know that I am God. And how precious that is. That, be still speaks of getting rid of the noise. Be still and know that I am God. My problem with the verse, not the verse, but people who quote that verse, is that they leave out the second part. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. Because as we draw near to God, and as we be still and know him, we then make him known to others. The more we know him, the more we can't keep but telling others about him. And so it's, the goal is to know him. The result is making, others, making him known to others. Make no mistake, though, the goal is to know God. But knowing God, it becomes increasingly difficult to stop there. When we, and think about your prayer life. What name for God do you use? I <clears throat> talked about Dr. Ed versus Ed, or Eddie, or Edward Allen. What name do you use for God? Do you fall into the rut of using the same name all the time, or do you actually think about what you're calling him? Oftentimes, the name that I use for God is an indication of who he is to me right now. Which of God's attributes is most precious to you right now in what you're going through? And then reflect that back to him as you pray to him. Yancey, in his book on prayer, says, I realize that my image of God more than anything else determines my degree of honesty in prayer. Peterson says, we prepare to pray not by composing our prayers, but ourselves. And now in, in his book on, um, sol he talks about silence, solitude, and prayer, quotes the Desert Fathers when he says, we need to pray until we pray. Because some, how many times have you had what, what I've experienced anyway, coming into a time of prayer with God where there's all this noise going on and it's like, okay, God, now you have me. And it's almost like you don't want to pray. You want to listen to God. You want to be in his presence. The time for you to talk will be there. It's always there. But think about that little Fiona climbing up into my lap and just being there. Carol and I remember when, uh, as our, each of our girls was born and you know, they would come and just, in that moment where you're holding them and they fall asleep in your arms, you know that feeling because all of a sudden, it's dead weight. <laughs> it's a little bit heavier. 
And then you think, ah, that's a precious feeling. Having that child fall asleep in your arms. And I think God sometimes wants us to just be at so at ease with him that we just rest in his arms and just enjoy his presence. It's a safe place. It's an intimate place. And we get to do that with the living God. But again, it's not just about how we have the basis of, of that drawing near to God or how to do that, but what's the impact? Verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly, holding on tight with confidence, without doubt, to the hope we profess. To the hope we profess. How many of us are professing that hope that we have? Turn to 1 Peter 3.15. If you're in Hebrews, just go back, keep going to the back of the Bible. After Hebrews, you have James, and then you have 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is a, a great verse for us right here because that hope that we profess, what do we do with that hope that we profess? <clears throat> Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and respect. I love having these conversations with my brother Mike because he's like the he's soaking it up. There are people in our lives who we would love to talk to, but it, we don't really feel the open door or the openness. Mike has been so open and transparent. He wants to know. I believe he is so close to the kingdom. And I'm pretty sure that he's going to hear this sermon, and I'm glad that he will. I'm praying for him and ask that you would join me in that and in their marriage coming up in September. How confident we are in that hope will also help us to profess it to others. First step, of course, it says, is to make Christ Lord. As our, is he Lord? If he is, tell others about him with gentleness and respect. <clears throat> Why? For he who promised is faithful, back in Hebrews 10, 20, 23, says, then let us consider how we may spur one another on. Okay, here's where I get a little vulnerable with you. Who won the Super Bowl? The Eagles. The Eagles. How many of you are fans of the Eagles? Okay, now there's a difference between being a fan of the Eagles and being a cheerleader for the Eagles. <clears throat> The fans are usually ones who feel good about what their team is doing to make them feel good. The cheerleaders are trying to help the team to do a better job. Um, some of you may recall the first time I preached here was the week after we voted to have Tony come and be our senior pastor and speaking from Joshua chapter 1 and talking about encouragement and this idea of spurring one another on. And I use the example of my brother Bob. He's number three, no, uh, number five. I'm number three. He's number five. Mike's number seven. <clears throat> so it's sort of like a shell game here, right? <laughs> and Bob is the athlete of the family. He's run marathons before, and he's, he's run the Boston Marathon a few times. Uh, how many of you have been watching the World Cup? Okay. There are, you, fans are passionate in there. I love when they all sing in unison the songs from their, their country. Uh, how many of you have been watching the um, live broadcast of the uh, Tour de France? A couple of you. <laughs> if you watch the Tour de France, there are f people on the side of the road 
and they start running with someone from their country and cheering, it's almost dangerous, and sometimes it is. But they're trying to spur them on. And my brother Mike, when he ran the Boston Marathon, after 23 miles, you come across Heartbreak Hill. 23 miles into the 26-mile race, and you see this hill, and it breaks your heart. <laughs> and he said, there are people with cowbells on the side, people cheering. And my brother Bob has said a number of times, I felt like I was physically carried up this hill. Now, get that image in your mind as you look around this room. And God is calling us to be those kinds of cheerleaders for one another. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. That phrase, love and good deeds, every time I hear that verse, I go back to Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are some of the verses I first learned when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. A very important distinction in verses 8 and 9, and then verse 10. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is what? It's a gift, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. But see, I grew up in a church-going family that taught that if my good works outweighed my bad works, then maybe, hopefully, perhaps, I might make my way into heaven. But the Bible makes it very clear that if you are guilty in one, you're guilty of the whole law. There are no, there's no number of good works that will outweigh those bad works. I have no hope in achieving salvation or a relationship with God in my own strength, in my own works. Verse 10, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, poem, creation, masterpiece, created on the, through Jesus Christ to do good works that he foreordained that we should walk in them. In other words, the good works that I do are to say thank you for the salvation that he's provided through Jesus Christ to bring glory to him. Psalm 96, 3 says, declare his glory among the nations, his mighty deeds throughout the earth. How do I bring glory to God? One of the ways I do it is by proclaiming what he has done. Another way is to do good works for his glory and not for my personal gain that I might perceive that to be. Michael O., who has recently agreed to be our speaker at our missions conference come February, once said, think of the gospel and then live the whole of your life in response to the gospel. When it comes to how you live your life, start by thinking, what did Jesus do for me? And then live your life in response to that. The verse goes on to say in Hebrews 10, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You could almost say not deserting the church, if you will, not just deserting the gathering. We get, why do we gather here in a place like this? It is not just to sing some wonderful songs or hear a message. There's the, the, the idea here is that we come together to spur one another on. I remember we would often head up the uh, retreat for our, church, for our missionaries in Southeast Asia, maybe have as many as 500 people come along with their children and uh, about once a year, people from all over Southeast Asia and other places. And almost every year, someone would call me and say, Ed, you know what, our family's going to not come this year. 
We're going to save some money. And um, you know what? We're doing pretty well. We don't really feel the need for the retreat this year. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? That's why we need you there. Because there are many people who are hurting who need to see people who are not hurting at a time to see that God is at work in some people's lives. There are some people who don't come here on a Sunday morning. You know what? I don't feel the need for it. All the more reason for you to be here to help those who are in need. That moment after church when someone walks up to you and starts talking and you see something's going on here. There's a heart request, if you will. And you're going to respond in a way that either will shoot that down or the person will continue on. You know when someone comes up and says, how are you doing? And the obligatory, fine, thank you. And then the person goes on and says, no, how are you doing? It's an invitation. And you decide whether or not to respond to that invitation with your heart or not. I want to share a little tip that helped me. Um, A number of years someone shared this with me where especially after a church or this kind of situation, someone comes up to you and you're thinking, all your noises are spinning, I've got to do this, this, and this, and someone says, can I just talk to you for a few minutes? I need someone to pray with me. And you're going to respond. And here's what the tip was. Respond to that person with something like this. I can see this is very important to you. I've got five minutes right now If that's not enough time, let's talk and pray just briefly, but let's set a time in the next couple of days that we can get together without the distractions of all that's going on here. So at least acknowledge the heart level that this person's coming and don't dismiss them or don't be there physically and not with who you are. So affirm the person, but then also validate how important it is by getting together in the next couple of days as you can, even if it's by phone. Are you willing to invest in the people around you for the sake of the gospel? Because the better each of us is individually, the better we are collectively, the better prepared we are to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ, about the hope that is within us. I think this is one of the things that we really need to work on. I'll say here at LEFC, Lancaster County culture, generally speaking, is very good at welcoming. We're so glad you're here. Come here. Here's a cookie. Uh, Come on in. Have a seat. (laughs) And if you're new here today, we're so glad you're here. But the rest of us, how do you know? You've got to be looking. I'll tell you how often I will often look for the bag on the floor. There's someone new. And if I have the shakes hand time with someone, that's the person I'm going to. I want someone to say hi to them because, you know, how does it feel to have someone walk out of here? Nobody talked to me. But even our brothers and sisters that we know one another, are we willing to invest ourselves to spur them on to love and good deeds? Think about a log burning in a fire. How many of you have a fire pit at your home? Did anybody use theirs last night? Last night was the perfect night to do a fire pit, Right? But you know that time in the evening where, okay, it's time to go inside, but that fire's still burning. What do you do with the logs? Push them out to the side, separate them so that they will stop burning. And that's what happens with us in the church. If we isolate ourselves, we stop burning. 
We burn best when we burn together. We burn best when we burn together and focusing on one another. And by the way, that cheerleader, are you looking for people to cheer on and do you have someone in your life to be your cheerleader? Some of you know that Carol and I do quite a bit of bicycling. Recently, we've gotten into disc golf, um, uh, Monday nights, uh, some interest group if you're interested. But um, usually every summer, we try to do, Carol and I try to do a, a two-day, 100-mile trip somewhere. Last year, we went to Delaware and took the ferry across into New Jersey and rode up to Ocean City and spent the night and came back. This was no problem on the way up because the hit wind was at our backs. But on the way back the next day, driving south, the storm was coming. Now, we can normally average about 13 miles per hour on a good flat uh, route road. On this day, there were 15 mile per hour headwinds coming at us, pedaling twice as hard to go half the distance. And I'm looking at every pickup truck going by thinking, I'd give them 50 bucks if they would drive me down to that ferry. Yeah, that one would fit us. <laughs> and then there's Carol, who's enjoying the draft behind me. Come on, we can do it. <clears throat> 6.8 miles to go. 6.7 miles to go. <laughs> there goes another one. We can do it. Come on. We'll get to that ferry in time. See, Carol is my number one cheerleader. And... What a blessed man I am to have someone like that in my life. Do you have someone in your life that's your cheerleader to help you be a cheerleader to others? Let me read the second part of Aaron's story here. At that moment, we realized what an amazing privilege it is to be allowed to see and be a part of the work God is doing here. Obviously, God doesn't need us to, or, uh, and calls us children. I'm sorry. Obviously, God doesn't need us and calls his children to himself in whatever way he can. But he allows us to be a part of that journey, and what an amazing gift he's given to us. We as Christians sometimes get caught up thinking we need to use a certain method or theory in order for people to come to know him. But God called her to himself through a dream. She heard his voice calling her name and wanted to know more about that God. She didn't have a Bible, she doesn't have a Bible, so she never had the chance to read the Word of God for herself. And since moving back to her village, she hasn't grown spiritually because of the lack of believers. Each visit with her is always different. Some days, she is really quiet, lost in her own thoughts. Other times, she talks about the cross and Jesus. Often, though, her thoughts are on her family and the pain in their eyes as they see her slowly fading away. No one else in our family knows about Jesus, but her knowing him has opened doors for us to share some with the family members who care for her. The last phrase in verse 25 says, but encouraging them, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's an urgency there. There's an urgency for us today. We have no guarantees about tomorrow. The people in our lives, our own lives, we have nothing's promised to us in that regard. There should be an urgency in our lives about telling others about the God we know. We've been in his lap long enough that we can tell others about how precious it is. And we need to recognize that there is a sense of urgency. We don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. 
So the basis of our drawing near to God is Jesus Christ himself. The manner may change from person to person, but the impact is that others will hear about him through us and our experience. Let me ask you a few questions as we wrap up. Have you ever experienced this drawing near to God in the sense that you have a relationship with him? Until I was nearly 17 years old, I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know him personally. I met someone after the first service today. I've seen him in church, but I didn't know him personally. I finally met him. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing him personally. My brother Mike, I think, knows a lot about God. He's even said, Ed, I know that Jesus died for my sins. It's just this whole church thing I can't do. And so there are some people in our own midst that think, why am I even coming to church? It's just me and Jesus, right? But if you've never come to Christ and accepted his gift of eternal life by his death and resurrection, then talk to me. Talk to one of our elders or one of our staff members or whoever is under the uh, cross for our prayer time after the service is over. But what about the rest of us? What draws you near to God? Where do you say, this is in God's presence? Identify that and pursue it more frequently. Make some changes so that you can be there more often. How do I rob myself of the blessing of fellowship with other believers? And how can I help draw others to God and encourage them in the relationship with God and others? We're going to sing the song, Here's My Heart, Lord. And I would ask that you would use this song as a way to, to reflect and uh, think about this. Where is my heart? Because you get close to someone's heart, you give God your heart, he's going to speak into your life. Later on in Hebrews chapter 13, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.